Hello and welcome to Set Podcast to Stun, the podcast where we explore, explain, and enjoy the Star Trek franchise. I'm Clint the Q, joined by Captain Corey and Chancellor Kapla. Emily. Kapla. Kapla. All right. Oh, oh, oh! How man. you doing, Corey? You sound tired. Oh, I'm a little, I'm a little sleepy. That's true. Oh yeah, why is that? Um, I think that <laughs> this is probably the worst episode that I've seen so far. <laughs> You're crazy, Holy Corey. It was. I did not enjoy uh, what little girls are made of. Oh my god, this has to be one of the best ones we've seen so far i don't know what you're talking about clint you're definitely wrong wait who's wrong clint the whole time i was wondering is this worse than charlie x and i don't think it's as bad as charlie x but it's pretty bad oh my god it's such a great episode so good so good well why don't you tell us what it's about clint because you wrote a fantastic synopsis Thank you. Thank you, guys. I know you love my synopsises, and you can never, you can, you just can't wait to hear them. Is it synopsi? For the first time. We can't wait to hear them for the first time. (laughs) I think it's synopsis, but with an E, like thesis, theses, like Martin Luther's. Theses, right? Yeah, so it's. I never liked, I never liked that, because it sounds like theses. It does. And so. That's what monkey, Professor Monkey's throw is theses. (laughs) We're, we're better than this. I don't think we are. <laughs> What's this episode about? <laughs> All right. So we start off and it's just Kirk on the bridge um, next to, is it number one? Is she's <gasps> back? I mean, of course, it's not number one, the character, but the actor, Thank right? Thank you. I spent the number whole one? time wondering if she was the same as the lady from the pilot. And it is her, right? It's the same actress. I think Corey, a, you're the expert. I think this, a right? quick. Uh, let me just try and remember real quick who the names of the actress. <laughs> it would have been. Without... Well, I think she was a doctor. Yeah. Was she a doctor or number one in Pike? In in the first pilot, she was number one. She was the first okay. officer. Her yeah. name was Majel Barrett, or Majel. Mm. And hey, what what year did Star Trek come out? 1964. 1964. My my notes were um, number one is back, and then my second note was she has a career because Kirk was like, "Oh, you had a career in like biochemistry or something like that." I thought he said she was a nurse. No, she was the one in Charlie X who was like, or or the uh, the nurse that was like getting the crazy eyes. Yeah, no, she's she hit on Spock. You're right, Corey. But I thought you told us that she that was number one from the pilot. Well, let's just say it was her. So they're recycling an actress in a new role. Already a mm-hmm. promising start. Hey, at least she has a career. She's a, a scientist with a that career. That she gives up to be a nurse on the spaceship so she can look for her missing fiancé? I don't think... Maybe. I, that might have been the uh, the issue. That's that's the strong writing that I expect out of first season <laughs> TOS. Uh, so she's looking for her... Um, her long lost fiance who's been gone for five years. He was doing research on a planet and they just lost contact with him. There's been two missions that have gone to try and find him and they've had no luck. Oh really? I didn't know that they couldn't find him before. Yeah. No, so he for like some wouldn't reason, reply to their hails or something. Uh, okay. For, for some reason the, the enterprise is now being sent on a third mission with the fi- fiance. The fianced. 
That's how they say fiance in the future. <laughs> Wait, fiance is male. Gender neutral. Fiancé. Is there are there two different genders for fiance? I don't think they we gender fiance. Um, okay. They're both French and so they are gendered. But in English we I don't think we do. I think that it looks like according to Google the woman has an extra e, but I don't know if it's said any differently. Interesting. I didn't know that. No, it's not. It's spelled okay, so... differently, but it sounds the same because it's French. Yeah, so he's the fiancé and she's the fiancé. No, you still say fiancé. Mm. It's just It's just there's an Anyway. Extra e. <laughs> we're we're left to understand like why the Enterprise is on this third mission because there's I, not I don't think there was any like, oh hey, there are some recent disturbances from the planet and you know, there might be someone under underground or whatever. Like they just went back for a third time to go search um and so that's where the episode opens up. But one thing I, I did like is that we find out that Dr. Dr. Corby, that's the name of the, the long, the lost fiance on the planet. I like that his job title, his job title is, um, oh gosh, what is it? It's like archaeologist, medical archaeologist, where like he looks for old ancient alien, uh, he looks through like ruins to find like new solutions to like, to contemporary medical problems like looking for the cure oh, to cancer cool. in like a in an ancient computer alien database or whatever so that's his job so he was on this ice planet and he we lost contact with him five years ago and so we gotta go find him. i have a note nothing ever good starts on an ice planet it's, how many ice planets are we at so far i think it's i think we've had more three. ice planets than hot no, we had the ice planet where the drunk disease started, and that's all I can remember. Oh, I thought there was one more. Although I will say one good thing does come out of ice planets, and that's uh, Sulu's uh, zingers. Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was a cold planet, but that wasn't an ice planet. Yeah, Emily. It was a cold planet, not an oh ice God. planet. Jeez, Emily. Fiance, fiance. One interesting thing about this episode, and by interesting I mean bad, is that there's no, like... <laughs> There's no Sulu and there's no Scotty at all. This is a mm-hmm. this is a Kirk heavy episode. Yeah, definitely. I just want to say too, I liked Ohura's na- nails. Uh-oh. She had those like sharp nails. I don't know if anyone else noticed that. I was too busy looking at the uh, the the spackled drywall that they use for the ice planets <laughs> interior in the caves. <laughs> so yeah, so Corby, he's just like, man, I've got this discovery. It's going to blow the top off the Federation. You got to beam down here with no one else. And uh, it's going to change your life, Kirk. Uh, him and um, what's her name? Uh, Christine, I know, is is the the wife's name. Fiance. So, yeah, they beam down to the planet. They don't really, like, find him. And so they bring down two more red shirts. Uh, so I, th- I wanted, be- before we get into this episode, the thing that drove me the most crazy about it was... I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's a trope, but like the the, the bad guy, right? Like Doctor Doctor Kobe, Kobe. Mm-hmm. Um, he his plan is so ridiculous. It is it's idiotic insane. for <laughs> for someone as smart as he is, who's like uh, like a prototype Doctor Noonien Soon, who's who's developing artificial life, who isn't developing, who has developed artificial intelligence. Um, his plan is okay. 
I'm, I'm, I've been quiet for five years. I'm ready to show the world my research. What I'm going to do is I'm going to bring the most powerful starship to my planet. I'm going to bring its captain down. I'm going to kidnap the captain. I'm going to clone him. I'm going to threaten him by saying something along the lines of like, oh, I could just replace you, you know, you on your ship with my with my Android clone and take over your ship. Don't you see how useful this technology is? And then he's going to fall in love with the idea of of me reinvigorating the human species because I, I'll show him that we can make androids and then we can develop them to the point where we put human consciousness inside the androids and we can perfect the, the species. He's going to totally love that. Like that is his plan and it's so ridiculous. His plan goes beyond that too because he wants to go to a colony and he wants to secretly start replacing people with androids. And then when the androids have been secretly replacing people for a while, he wants to announce that to the public and be like, see how useful these androids are? I've replaced this whole colony with androids. Now we should all be androids. Right. I, everyone feels great about it. It's also, like it's it's a really boring plot, too. And Corey, maybe this is like why you say like it's a cliche. I actually really love how in TNG they don't make a big like data is a big deal because he exists, but people aren't like, what does it mean to be human? I'm so threatened. They're just like curious and interested. And mm -hmm. they're like, well, this just changes things. But this is just like technology bad because people do evil things with it. And I'm like, that's okay. Yeah, it's it's a really it's a really trite message. But and I was I was reading about some of the behind the scenes stuff and, and it, this this stuff had the Hobbit movies written all over it. It was like it was such a production hell. Like the, the the script writing was so bad. Roddenberry was getting rewrites as he was like shooting it, and just like it was, they they did not have their shit together while they were while they were doing this because it's such a simplistic plot that they had to stretch over you know fifty minutes. It it, it really, I mean, I talk about episodes dragging in the middle. This one definitely drags in the middle. But but let me say this: if if I was him, if I were him, I think that's the subjunctive form. <laughs> Wow, we're getting into a lot of grammar this episode. <laughs> I would be like, hey, Kirk. Yeah, it was weird. I couldn't get my communications to work. But I'm, you know, after five years, I'm ready to go back. Can you take me to a colony with my fiance so we can live a happy life together? Oh, this is just some medical equipment that I've been working on. Uh, it's like a centrifuge and it's, it's cool. So anyway, let's go. He didn't have to do all that shady shit he did to like draw suspicion. Because Kirk's a good guy and there's no way he was going to go along with this. I just... I don't understand his plan. Hey, Corby is a good, he's he's a famous scientist. How dare you second guess him? <laughs> it's, it does, Corey, when you're talking about the production issues, that makes a lot of sense because it reminds me of what we said about the last episode that we watched where it's like just a bunch of plot ideas thrown in a bag and then you dump the bag on the table and that's what the episode is like there's a sexy android and a scary lurch android and people disappear but then also maybe the androids are good and then there's like a double of kirk and it's just like so many things but i will say one yeah. thing that i did enjoy about this episode was there's a lot of a uh, swashbuckling Kirk. <laughs> like mm -hmm. I don't mm -hmm. even know what other adjective to put there. Like no, that's perfect. He's just like there's a part where they're like, well, Kirk's like, well, we're gonna do this, and he's like, no, we want you to do this, and he's like, well, and then he just like tumbles behind a table and he has like a phaser and he phasers a guy, and <laughs> it's 
That was great when he was holding Andrea. Andrea. On Andrea. Yeah, Andrea, the super sexy female android. He was like holding her hostage or like hiding behind her. And then he does this like tuck and roll maneuver mm-hmm. behind a desk. Mwah. Perfection. So, so let's let let's set up the cast of characters here and let's say like what happens. So so Kirk and Christine, the the fiance, they beam down. Uh, Dr. Colby's like Corby, whatever. He's super happy because he gets to reunite with his mm-hmm. fiance. But he does this creepy thing where he's like, only you guys can come. And like, they take some security forces and the security forces disappear. So there's, you know, things are a little ominous from the start. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Immediately, the security that Kirk posts, they, they, they both get killed. And then Kirk's like, you can't prove that that guy just didn't slip and fall well that's true we never saw the scene i mean sure ruck was there and he was looking just suspect as hell but you never see him push the guy so we don't know what happened (laughs) so when they first arrive uh corby is supposed to meet them there but he's not there and so kirk gets all suspicious like what the hell these were the coordinates we are greeted by dr browning who uh is very creepy and Christine seems he's Dr. Brown and then Christine calls him Brownie. Oh yeah, which is not weird and uncomfortable at all. So there's Dr. Brown, then there is Andrea, the the sexy side boob female android. Side side boob overalls. <laughs> side boob, yeah, very interesting. And I love by the way that everybody down in Dr. Corby's weird menagerie had the same costume like it was like a uniform of like red, like blue and yellow. No, it was green and blue, I believe. Yeah, very co- color blocking, but hers was smaller. I wanna, I wanna talk about the costume so much. So let's get through the character introduction. Okay, so the 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 last two characters are Doctor Corby, who is the only human that's down there. Uh, wink, wink. He's not a human. He's actually an animal. Um, and then there is there is Rock. 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 Yes. Ruck. Yeah. It's Ruck. So the best Ruck, character in this episode. I will episode. say, I will say the best character in this episode. Ruck is an ancient android that Doctor Corby found on this planet five years ago, uh. and he's he he's the last of his kind. He's been like maintaining the clockworks of the long gone civilization. He doesn't even know how long he's been there. Uh, super cool uh, makeup. If you can look up what he looks like, it's really, really cool. And as I was watching it, I was like, oh my gosh, he looks so familiar. He, he almost looks like Lurch from the Adams family. Is he? And he is Lurch from oh, the Adams. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, yes. Because he he's like six, I don't know, six, five, six, he's six. Giant. He's really tall. I love his makeup uh, too. It, yeah. And I love all the cotton padding they put in his uniform to make him all like buffed out. Uh, his uniform's amazing too. God. So, so anyway, I, I will end this by saying... Ruck kills the two security officers. Kirk gets very uh, suspicious, and um, and then they go down to the lab, and we spend the entire episode talking about uh, the frailties of the human condition. Also, Kirk does get naked again, uh, and this time it's... Like, real naked. That's how you know it's a good episode. Absolutely, just a little shadowy thing over his penis and it's so that they can make an android clone of him yeah clint why don't you walk us through how oh to make an <laughs> for anybody who's curious well god there's so much to unpack in this episode i at first i loved the way they make androids and then i'm just like this is dumb i had the exact opposite trajectory i was like <laughs> laughing out loud with how stupid it was as i watched it 
But in hindsight, now I'm like, I kind of love this. Well, I like the like android dummy where it's like this weird human shaped green like moss foam thing. Uh-huh. And you throw that on a table. On a centrifuge. Yeah. Yeah. There's a little human indent. And then you take the human that you're trying to copy and you sit them down there and then you spin them around. And that's how uh, that's how androids are made. Oh, but but how long do you need to spin them? Do you know how how long, uh, in terms of episode airtime, they need to that scene needs to last? Um, maybe I like three percent. Way way too long. <laughs> Do you guys want to take a guess on how long the centrifuge scene was? How it was like oh. a minute, like maybe no four and a half. Minutes. Yeah, it had to be like oh, when three. Was spinning yeah, around. I was gonna four say three and a half minutes. minutes from when they turned the centrifuge on to when they turned it off. It was four and a half minutes. I was wondering, uh, this species must have not like had like got nauseous or some anything like that. I was wondering it would be like if like Kirk got like sick and he just started puking. Like throwing <laughs> up. He was he was incredibly placid throughout the entire thing. Like he mm-hmm. didn't he, he said nothing. I mean he wasn't like, get me out of this damn thing. He was just like like sleepy. Maybe they drugged him. I don't know. Well, he did do one thing where he started saying racist slurs to Spock. Who wasn't there? What was with that, by the way? Okay, I think I figured it out. So then when they sent the clone up, the clone said that to Spock in real life. Mm -hmm. And Spock was like, some mischief is afoot. I think that's what it was, but it's not very well handled because the closing line is Spock being like, I really thought it was weird you called me a half-breed. And he's like, yeah, I'll remember that next time I get into a similar situation. Wink. And I'm like... (laughs) Okay, okay. What? Wait, wait. So so Kirk was like, okay, they're going to copy me into an android. So I'm going to say something racist so that my copy has like a, a racist seed in it when it sees Spock. Yeah. Yes. Oh, wow. Very smart. Yeah. I thought it was funny, though, because I thought it would have been like, he says that. He's like, I have enough of your meddling, you damned half-breed. And then when he walked out of the out of the room, I thought Spock was be like, yep, that's Kirk. <laughs> I mean, he kind of did just stand there like, wow, that was really rude. I need to talk to HR. I was about to say, I wanted the next scene to be like, like Spock and Kirk having like a mediation in the HR. Like, <laughs> Yeah, it's not appropriate to use racist slurs when discussing, when referencing your coworkers. Uh, yeah, no, at first I was real excited about that process. And then it just got to be real dumb. Also, the, the it brings up more questions, right? Like, where, like, do like, you need a template every time you make an android? And then where did the template for Brown and Andrea come from? Well, Brown and the doctor make sense because they were there initially. And then he says something, Dr. Corby says something of like, my legs were all busted. So I turned myself into an android. So we had a copy for him. Yeah, spoiler alert, at the end of the episode, it turns out that Corby is an android too. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. But... Andrea is the real question. And even his fiance says something of like, well, he's never mentioned an Andrea before. And she's like, mm-hmm. it's okay. I'm an android. I can't love your husband. And he's like, yes, that's right. She can't have feelings. And I'm like, okay, but she can still fuck. <laughs> you clearly implied that. Yeah. So like where, what, where did she, what was her original form? Yeah. Uh, was there. And why, re- why is Ruck a monster and Andrea is side boob overall? Because Ruck, I think that's what the old aliens looked like. They all looked like Ruck, maybe. Mm, yeah. Okay, fair, fair. I'll give because you that. Because the new androids look like us, so maybe the old ones look like Ruck. 
All right, I want to jump back on those jumpsuits because they're just so amazing. <laughs> and I was wondering if, like, on this research expedition, if your rank is reflected in how thick your stripes are on your jumpsuit. So that's why, like, Andrea was wearing this, like, really tiny, thin jumpsuit with not very big stripes. is because she's, like, low man on the totem pole. She's an yeah, ensign. Yeah, but, like, Brown's a little bit higher up so he gets a shirt with his tiny jumpsuit and then since corby is running the whole thing he gets these nice big thick you know lines that run down his 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 jumpsuit well well ruck was wearing like ebenezer scrooge like (laughs) outside the window watching his he's wearing uh like long pajamas with a parka over it yeah yeah, like those sleeping bag coats, but it's also, it's like a full dress. Is it like a, a jumpsuit slash like snuggly? Is that where we are in the future right now? It's like a snuggie with a cravat. <laughs> you know what I would really enjoy? Like if, if we ever rebooted our own Star Trek, you know, you know what I would have everybody wear? Jeans. Jeans and a long <laughs> sleeve t-shirt. I think that that is absolutely awesome because jeans are extremely versatile they don't dirty easily they're they're everybody wears jeans no in my new starfleet everyone would just be wearing shorts you just be you get your shorts like a short jumpsuit and that's oh like jodhpurs yeah or what is it called um rompers you get a romper a two-piece romper In in my reboot, everybody's wearing the really shiny fabric that is the pillows in TNG, <laughs> and it's all like the pajama outfits that they have for TNG because everyone's pajamas are just bonkers. Like all the dudes are like these like little teddies, and so it would be like that in shiny fabric, and then the women are wearing these like very long Victorian nightgowns. <laughs> I think if everyone had jeans on, it'd be great to like see that moment of vulnerability where the card goes into his quarters after a long day and he takes his jeans off and he's like, oh, fuck yeah, that feels good. <laughs> the idea of Captain Kirk in jeans makes me physically uncomfortable. Well, I cannot, my brain will not allow him to wear jeans. If you want to see him in jeans, you can watch Generations because he's wearing jeans as he's riding a horse. No. Oh, that's even worse. I hate horses. I think we talked about this. You must hate Picard because he he loves riding horses. He He even has his own saddle. Uh, Like any serious rider. Terrible. Just the worst. This brings me to a question I have. Is Captain Kirk a himbo? Kimbo? A himbo. Like a bimbo that's a dude. Oh, a himbo? Oh, for sure. For sure. That bro gets around. They ha- We've had these episodes where he's like, I'm going to win space chess against you, Spock, who's way smarter than me. But then most of the other times, he's just like being confused by things, taking off his shirt and running around. <laughs> he spends most of this episode as a, as a captive. And he's kind of like... I mean, and he's not he's like kind he of a damsel like in distress. Concerned, like he's he's not like you know chastising Corby too much for killing two of his own men and kidnapping him and trying to like. I, I mean, he's he's kind of going along with the whole thing. He's like Spock will rescue me. Yeah, he'll understand my secret message. And that's probably the best part. He'll never get away with the it. The best part of this episode <laughs> is once because the villain does his monologuing and then 
and we all find out that that Corby's actually an android, and then Andrea and Corby like are like, oh hey, we're both androids, and then they kill each other. We'll talk about that probably in a little bit. And then three seconds later, in just perfect television um, synchronicity, Spock walks in with the rescue team, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I love that. <laughs> I'm here. To, I'm here to rescue you. He's like, don't worry about it. I got your message. <laughs> It's like, oh, it all it all worked itself out. Thanks for getting here on time, Spock. <laughs> there is one part that I thought was really funny when right around this time where when we learn that Dr. Corby is really an android and he's like trying to convince his fiance that he's still basically the same human. And he's like, I'll prove it to you. I'll transmit. No, I'll compute. I'll like he can't come up with any verbs that aren't computer based. That's why he's 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 gone into he can't return. He's a robot now. He can't even He can't even remember you know, the words. Yeah, he's just like he he doesn't eat anymore and he doesn't poop anymore, so how can he prove he's human? <laughs> well, if you can't eat and you can't poop, then you obviously can't love. That's the lesson we've learned today. The name of my memoir, Eat Poop Love. Really, the meaning mm-hmm. of what being a human is. <laughs> also, you can tell that TNG is in the future because Data can eat. He, he can, yeah. It's, it's like a he like can, a, yeah, like a ferrofluid. Yeah. He, no, he can have like cake, can't he? Yeah, he can have anything. And there's actually a scene where he talks about like I just analyze the chemical components and understand how that works, but I don't taste it the way you do. But yes, I can eat. Do you think he has to like when he goes back to his quarters, just like <laughs> like open up his abdomen and like pull out his air filter and just shake everything into the sink? Yeah, like Bender, like Bender from Futurama yeah, that's when exactly he opens up his thinking, stomach yeah. and just like rattles things out. Yeah. So with this with this episode, it's weird because almost nothing happens, but. But goddammit, I could not give you like a, a, a synopsis of all the tiny little scenes that they have as they're just like talking to each other about whatever. But I did want to talk about one thing that happens. I, I want to talk about two things that happened. Uh, in one scene, Corby says that Andrea does whatever because she's an android. And she'll follow whatever orders. And to prove this, she makes uh, Andrea kiss Kirk. And they have a... And then slap him. <laughs> and then slap, and then slap him. Yes. And Kirk was like, I wasn't turned on when she kissed me, but when she slapped me, that's what got me going. Yeah, it's everything with Andrea is really funny. Um, but very, very much that like Kirk just has this look on his face like, I just learned something about myself and I don't like it. <laughs> I would like I would like to read you an an excerpt from uh, IMDB about that scene. So William Shatner kisses Sherry Jackson so hard that when they pull apart, you can see that her lips are swollen a little and that most of her lipstick is gone and all over his lips. Also, when he holds her in his arms and pulls her in close to kiss her, he squeezes her arms so tight when kissing that he leaves fingerprints there. I noticed that. He really, like, you can see the fingerprints on her arm. Uh, is, is this the one where he's being held by Ruck? Or is this mm-hmm. later on when he's been captured and he's... He's putting the boobs on her. No, this is the first one. This isn't when he confuses her with his raw sexuality. God, I hated this episode. There were two scenes <laughs> now I remember where, like, he's like, it, it's it's very like 
like rapey she's in his quarters and he like grabs her and just like starts like what, what was he trying to accomplish like by trying to like seduce her i don't understand that i feel like he was trying to like short circuit her like she's like no not for you and he's like but don't you like the way i look and she's like but no uh, like div zero Sexy. div zero yeah <laughs> libido overloaded <laughs> oh emily i thought you were gonna mention by the way that uh she has the your your airy 60s lady voice uh when, yeah. especially when we first meet her she's like oh hello welcome to our creepy uh laboratory but she has that really oh, airy yeah. voice she does she has the oh you don't like that i call him by his first name i'll call him dr corby then she does sound like that christine's like no that's even sexier yeah She's like, who even are you? <laughs> <laughs> I So, Corey, you're asking about his plan. One, I want to say that I like it that he kisses her and then she goes to slap him after that. Yeah, and he's like, no, no, save it for later. <laughs> <laughs> but I think what he was trying to do is, like, confuse her and, like, try... I don't... Because that didn't make too much sense either because I think he was trying to confuse her so that she would kill the other Kirk android. Uh, I... <laughs> I thought he was trying to prove that the androids were had human failings. I thought he was trying to get them to like break down. Because that's what he does with Lurch. And it drove me nuts. Lurch is this ancient machine. And he's like, what happened in the old days? And he's like, I don't remember. And he's like, yeah, you did. They got too good. And the androids took over and killed all the people because they were flawed. And he's like... Yeah, that's right. That is what happened. And I'm like, That was what? the he's... missing equation. Yeah, yeah, now he's like, you should betray Corby because Corby's trying to do the same exact thing today. He's trying to create androids as an imperfect species. And then that pisses he's off. He's like, all right, yeah. A good old, I mean, it's just the good old tactic of killing an android with like logical inconsistencies, right? Yeah, I felt like he was trying to get them to feel emotions and then they'd be like, but I cannot feel emotions. But what am I? I am feeling, uh... I think he was just trying to prove that these these machines were fallible and they weren't perfect. I mean, I think our confusion over what he was trying to do kind of goes back to Corey's point that this is not a good episode. <laughs> I want to talk about the scene where Kirk escapes from his uh, boring prison and he runs into a cave and he's hiding behind a wall and rock lurch is looking for him and to defend himself kirk reaches up and grabs a uh stalactite yep uh, a styrofoam stalactite from the ceiling and rips it down and i want to talk about how much that stalactite looks like a baby penis <laughs> i have you. that in my notes too it I does look like too. a penis <laughs> it's a big old dick and he's like hugging it I, there's so much subtext in this episode there's a lot to I, unpack there yeah yeah mm-hmm. And he's running from a big man, too, you know? Ooh. Yeah. And the big man tries to trick him by putting on a girl's voice to mm-hmm. get him to come out. <laughs> we for- Yeah, we forgot to mention that Rock can impersonate anybody's voice. I, re- I wonder if that was really impressive in the 60s. Like, how did they do that? How did that guy... He's, his lips are moving, but a, a lady's voice is coming out. It probably was really impressive. Yeah. I. This is another episode, you know, bringing up that question of special effects. I, one of my notes was that it it is another episode that feels like it's trying very hard to be the Twilight Zone. And that, like, eerie, uncanny, 
oh, ironic, like, you didn't expect this to happen and everybody's fucked. I feel like all three of us react really strongly to that, that we don't want Star Trek to be doing that. We want Star Trek to be giving us, like, the more, like, 90s and early 2000s Star Trek that we're used to that's like, humans are going to make it after all. Well, see, what I think is, like, it's trying to be the Twilight Zone in that it's trying to have, like, a really deep message uh, within the plot but just the script doesn't support it. I don't care about having a deep message. My favorite episode of TNG is Fistful of Datas. I want them to go, I want all the people on the bridge that I love to go on an adventure together. And it can be a very predictable plot. I don't really care. I just want all of their personalities to bounce off of each other. I want to go to exotic locations. I want to have like an interesting problem for them to solve. And then they get back in their ship and they leave. There doesn't have to be like anything too crazy. I mean, it's okay every once in a while, but like, yeah, it's just trying really hard to be, you know, to, to, to meet Rod Sterling's like blistering intellect. And it just doesn't have that yeah. in a lot of the episodes. I see. I'm with you partway. Like I love those silly fun episodes of Star Trek, but some of the best ones and why I keep watching it is that they do have really interesting problems and conundrums. And like, I'm thinking of there was this one tng where Riker gets like a crush on this alien who's like from a gender neutral planet and she's like in my planet we're all gender neutral but i've always felt i was female and this is obviously like an allegory for being gay she's like it's very shameful and they'll send me to therapy but i like being female and i want to bone you which i think they do and then at the end like her people find out and they like send her to conversion therapy essentially Mm -hmm. and she's like no no i want this and Riker is like flipping out and he's like we can't allow this to happen and picard is like look personally i'm with you but i can't intervene because she's not like requesting asylum and it is this really interesting thing that they wrestle with but even though it sort of ends in an unsatisfactory place like we still have this feeling of all the characters acting from a place of good faith and like we trust that the audience is smart and going to think about these things and these episodes try to do that but instead of like showing characters wrestling with things and trusting that the audience is smart enough to like think about them it's becomes very heavy-handed of like something good something bad and oh it's an allegory for our life yeah like what was the what was the one with the where they get weird colored eyes and that guy gets like, like <laughs> the one with the silver eyes yeah the one with the eyes what was yeah that, that wasn't Charlie uh, X, was it? where no man has gone before and that was the second pilot so like with that one it was kind of what this one is where this one is like humans versus technology and that one was like mm-hmm. gods versus humans you know like these two disparate philosophical concepts having a battle royale within a star trek episode where like the episode you're talking about with Riker, it's like a social issue and it's something that people could point to and like the common man would know what that issue is and be able to identify with it if you put a gun to my head i couldn't tell you what the thesis of this episode was it had something to do with technology well and i think those episodes too you can identify with every single one of the characters like you understand the gender neutral alien you understand Riker, you understand Picard, maybe you don't understand her people who are putting her through this, but like, you do kind of see all sides. Like, I keep going back to this review I read of the movie Black Panther, where they were saying that 
it's the best Marvel movie because the villain, Michael B. Jordan, we actually agree with all of his goals. He actually has the same goals as Chadwick Boseman's character. They're just going about it in such different ways that it's incompatible. It's more like your two coworkers squabbling over something than over like just this evil villain that you can't understand why they're so evil. And that's what made it a good movie. And I think that's what makes the latter Star Treks better is that we don't have these like stock bad characters like Dr. Corby, who's obviously doing something just because he's a villain. Like the plan is bad, but it's also evil. <laughs> it would have been better if Corby would have been more sympathetic. Mm-hmm. You know, you you say he was, that. He was a very, I was just going to say, he was a very, very cardboard two-dimensional character. He wasn't. And maybe that's just because he's a dumb robot. Literally, as soon as they found him, I'm like, he's. it's not going to be the doctor. It's going to be like an alien or something. And it, it was. It was a robot. Yeah. Uh, you saying that about like uh, just these, these cardboard evil characters and we can't identify with them and they're not interesting villains. I think that's why I really don't like lore episodes in TNG because he's just like evil to be evil. He'll be, he'll do, he'll even do like an mm-hmm. evil laugh. He'll be like, <laughs> you simply don't <laughs> understand. And it's just, yeah, it's, it's cringy. It's almost just a chance for Brent Spiner to like choose some scenery. Oh God, we're going to talk about masks someday. <laughs> yeah, we'll get there. We'll get there. I cannot wait for this because I've only seen one lore episode and I fucking loved it. I thought lore was the best. I wanted to see him more. Every time they mention him, just in passing, I'm like, yes, give me lore. Oh, that's too bad because we never see him again. <laughs> Wait, he's really only in one? He's no, in I'm a two-part. Oh, okay. He's in like three or four episodes. <laughs> yeah, so it'll be it'll be interesting to see if that holds up when I get to those other ones and we talk about that or if I join you guys in deploring lore. So uh, so let's just go back. I want to talk about Wait, this. Wait, deep lore. That's the name of the side podcast. Deplore, deep lore. <laughs> <laughs> we, it's a it's a lore Star fan Trek. cast. <laughs> no, we talk about the four episodes that he's in. just over and over and over again. We could go over the genealogy of the Sung line. I'd be fine with that. The only thing I like more than the Klingons is Data. All right, so let's let's talk about this a little bit because just like Star Trek in the '60s, it's Star Trek, but it's not Star Trek, right? It's the thing that started it, but the the Star Trek that you know we've come to know and love is a different animal than than this Star Trek. And it's just hard to go back 60 years and watch this and like, I don't know, you know, think it's that great. Like it's going back to like, to read like Russian, I don't know, like, you know, Russian literature. It feels like very slow and clunky and that sort of thing and not, not as well sharpened. Philistine. Yeah, right. <laughs> so it's definitely hard to go back and watch a show from the 60s and be like, yeah, this is great, you know, and... And if you compare it to our standards today, of course, it's going to fall down short. I mean, too, like, look at Batman. I think that's another good mm-hmm. kind of cultural touchstone because that was in the 60s. And that is also just, like, goofy and corny. And it's not it's not Batman. It's, like, the furthest thing away from, like, the Batman, right, that we would recognize today or something along the lines of, like, you know, The Dark Knight Rises uh, from Christopher Nolan. Okay, but they had good writing in the 60s. You know, there were good TV shows in the 60s. I don't know. Like, what kind of TV... Like, can you point to a TV show that that's from the 60s that could stand up today? The Outer Limit. I mean... The Twilight Zone. When The Twilight Zone is great. But The Twilight Zone has no need of continuity. Like, each episode is so standalone. Mm. They're really making mini-movies. I was going to say, when did MASH start? I guess that was probably the 80s. 
Yeah, but I think so. The other thing too, Clint, that I think we've bumped into a couple times, and it's also worth remembering, is that we're so used to streaming TV. Like I was, mm-hmm. I was talking about HBO's Watchmen earlier. That's literally they took two years to make it, and it's like ten episodes. And we're used to just not filler. We're not used to like every week you have to have something on and you have to do it for 20, 25 weeks. And that's one episode Mm -hmm. like or one season. You know, now we're used to a season being 10, 13 episodes and you can take a year or two in between them. I think we're bumping into some of the filler episodes and we're just we're no longer used to that that tune in every week feeling. Well, and I think, too, like another thing is that I think if we were back in the day, I feel like these sci-fi concepts would feel a lot more crunchy to us. Mm-hmm. They'd feel much fresher. Mm-hmm. And where, I mean, so much of our television, I think, is kind of like predicated on the show and built from the show. So we've already seen these tropes play out time and time again. So back in the day, this seemed kind of fresh and very new. But for us, too, especially for us who've been watching a lot of Star Trek... It feels rote and it feels like we've already been there and it doesn't, it's not that complicated. So it's just not much, much mind candy anymore for us to kind of like grab onto and really sink our teeth into. I think that's an interesting argument. I think TV feels dated really fast and it'd be interesting Mm -hmm. to go back to a show like Breaking Bad and like would Breaking Bad still be still feel good or would that be would that start feeling dated to us already yeah and i mean like take breaking bad in like 60 years yeah like what would people like think of it think of it then yeah and i know too like um we i you know Corey was talking about like what's the message of this of this episode and i think it's that you can't program out the bad stuff of humanity without taking the good stuff out as well but the problem is is that we already had this episode. We already had that exact same plot, better written and better message when we had the Evil Kirk episode. Mm-hmm. And so it's like they're taking the same basic skeleton of Evil Kirk and just putting different aliens in. Mm-hmm. It's not as interesting. Or another different Evil Kirk. <laughs> That's what we got in this episode. This guy didn't even seem like Evil Kirk, just... Dropping racist slurs, Kirk. Yeah, and what's so ev- evil about that? It's the 60s. <laughs> okay, so we got Perry Mason. That was a good show. Johnny Quest. Wacky Races. Do you guys remember that show? No, I have no idea what yeah, Wacky I've, Races I watched is. The, I've seen a couple of those on the I've just I've been desperately trying to find good shows from the 1960s. Uh, <laughs> but when people say Star Trek is a good show from the 60s? Uh, the Flintstones... I will say, thinking about shows like like Gilligan's Island and Brady Bunch and I Dream of Jeannie, if we think about this being on air at the same time as those shows... I, I think Brady Bunch was later, but... Was it? They might all be later, but this does feel a lot darker and serious and more meaty compared to those which are sort of madcap and very fluffy and, you know, bonkers comedies. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think it's just kind of like a, I, I want to say a culture gap, but it's more of a just a time gap, you know, where we're just used to television that's been a lot more polished, right? In the 60 years, we've really kind of learned how to make television. We're also coming from a culture that has different tastes in, in media and that sort of stuff. And I think just bumping up against, too, the, the, contra- the constraints of the 60s, where Gene Roddenberry was constantly 
fighting with the studio to try and get his more progressive themes in there and probably, you know, some more substantive plot lines and that sort of thing. And they just kind of keep reining him in and just kind of want that like action and and kind of sexiness. The thing that sold the show was just kind of the vibe and the aesthetic where they really felt like it was you were in the future and kind of all the sounds and the looks of the set. So I think that was the real mind-blowing part of this show was it just seemed so futuristic and so realistic, a realistic depiction of the future. And then so, you know, now that we're 60 years ahead of that, going back, it just doesn't, that just doesn't hold up. It doesn't look futuristic at all to us. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of the, the cultural concept seems very dated, a little, you know, very sexist, even though for the time it was... It could almost like it barely got in the, the air because it was so progressive that it featured, you know, a woman on the bridge, not only a woman, but a black woman and, you know, men and wo- women working together. But today that just isn't as shocking and, and crazy to us. So, so yeah, it's definitely hard to get into these episodes and really, really, you know, find those things that we really love about them. So that's why I'm just been leaning into the the 60s craziness well, I, I understand what you're saying I, i'm not i'm not yeah. i'm not like oh my gosh did you did you see the the boom mic like i'm not saying anything like that i'm just like this was a really bad script on this episode <laughs> i think too clint you know as much as we <clears throat> complain about these episodes we all finish them like we yeah. finish every single one and like i get excited for whatever one i'm gonna watch even if it's silly but it is I think you don't have to sort of set it up as like, we don't hate this. We understand it's dated. Although I appreciate that work a lot, but it's also Mm -hmm. would be so weird if we like watch this and didn't talk about the fact that when Kirk rips off a stalactite, it looks like a giant penis. (laughs) Like that's just so hilarious and weird. And like, there is something so kitschy about it. And Mm-hmm. And especially because we're six years on and, and it's just, I mean, there are definitely scenes that I'm like, am I watching Austin Powers right now? Like, <laughs> yeah, so it's it's worth noting, but yeah, we just cannot not address how cheesy and weird that feels to us as modern viewers. But also, I do think that that, I notice that every time we like bring in TNG or Enterprise or something, like, I think it is us being like this is cheesy and hokey but i can see the seeds of this thing that doesn't feel as cheesy and hokey like mm-hmm. i can see how mm-hmm. this influenced this but you know that the angle that i would take more is like i i, I, I mean the decade the 60s like I, i'm sure that plays into some of it but to me it's like it's the first season if you watch the first couple episodes of tng it's rough mm-hmm. watching it's really that's rough. true i mean they say it doesn't get good until the second the second season the other thing too like going back to this idea of it being dated i remember watching the the uh charlton heston planet of the apes on tv when i was like in high school and my Mm -hmm. mom came in and she was like oh my god this was the first movie that i saw in the theater it scared the shit out of me and i started laughing at her i was like this is (laughs) like this is a good movie i'm into it but it is not scary at all and my mom just said what are you talking about? Monkeys riding horses? And because that didn't look like special effects to me, I was just like, yes, monkeys riding horses. But then when she said it that way, I was like, I guess monkeys riding horses is a little scary. Like the concept, okay. Uh, But that was just such a moment where I was like, okay, this is a cultural thing. Like 
I still think this is a great movie and the plot and writing is good, but it did not viscerally frighten me in the way that it did my mother. Emily, do you think, do you think if like I caught my daughter like watching The Grudge like 20 years from now (laughs) and she's just like laughing the whole time, I'd be like, this was, I cried when I went home watching this in 2005 after (laughs) seeing it in the theaters. I was so scared by that movie. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my gosh. I remember that about the sixth sense the sixth sense scared oh yeah scared no me that scared the so shit out bad. of me yeah even like i saw i rewatch it as an adult and i was i was literally shaking because of how much it i remember it scaring me and watching it as an adult i was like oh this isn't like it has some scary moments but it's kind of a sweet movie but the visceral terror that that movie gave me, yeah, if I saw someone, like, laughing, mm-hmm. I would slap the shit out of them. I would be like, you yeah. have no idea. <laughs> well, also, like, with Planet of the Apes and back when it when it first came out in theaters, probably the, the makeup looked really good. Mm-hmm. Kind of how when you were a kid and you saw, like, some CG and you're like, wow, that looks amazing. And now we see it today and it's, like, laughable, mm-hmm. you know? And that's the same thing with, like, movie makeup and that sort of thing, where probably back then it looked amazing and super scary, and now it just looks silly. Do you know what holds up, though? And this is the other spinoff that I can do, is uh, the Lord of the Rings special effects still look fucking incredible. Yeah, when you blend matte paintings with CGI, and, like, CGI is used oh, for more distant things, it's really good. I was, was going to say oh, really quick. so beautiful. Do you remember the secret... Do you remember the secret world of Alex Mack mm-hmm. on Nickelodeon? Mm-hmm. So, so she like she can turn into like Mercury or whatever, and then like go under doors. Yeah, some like liquid metal. I thought that looked like so that. cool when I was a kid, and then mm-hmm. I was just looking at it the other day, and it's like, wow, that's some real '90s CGI right there. Circling back to actually talking about Star Trek, <laughs> I do agree with to with Corey that I do want more Spock and more Sulu and more Scotty. And you definitely don't get... I feel like we really haven't gotten a lot of Spock in this show uh-uh. yet. Like, you don't really get much character... He's kind of, like, still a background. You can tell, though, that, like, he is probably contracted to be in every episode because he at least has... Mm-hmm. Like, he didn't have to be in this episode. He was not vital, but he was still in the episode for, like, maybe 30 seconds total. I'm curious to see if... Because TNG got to the point where you were so comfortable with the members of the bridge that you could have a LaForge episode or a Data episode or a Wesley episode or, God forbid, a Crusher episode. I wonder if, if this show does that with, like, like this is a Sulu episode. Or or is it very Kirk-centered on all of them? And I think, I think it is very Kirk-centered. And I think having that kind of, like, ensemble cast and then, like, having, you know, like, the Data episode... Versus like a Jordy episode is more like once we get into the 90s, that's more of a television staple where this is just Kirk's the leading man. It's going to be all about him. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think the idea of like an ensemble cast, because you think of the 90s and there's like Frasier and Cheers and the West Wing. And that's all so based on ensemble casts friends that it feels weird to us to not have that but i i think that that's like a moment in television time i don't think that that's like given yet mm-hmm. like you look at i dream a genie they didn't have you know they had supporting characters but I, every episode was on the colonel i don't know i think he was in the air force or something like that and and the major the i thought and he that, was a major i he might i he probably was you probably know more than i do i don't know much about i dream a genie but, you know, it was just on those two characters. 
That was the same thing with, you know, like, Bewitched. Mm-hmm. It was the husband and the wife witch, and they didn't have an episode that, like, you know, I think his, her mother was also a witch. Like, you didn't have an episode where she was the lead. And the story focused on her. Yeah, you're it right. It was all about even, this couple. Even when Theodora showed up, it was all about how Darren didn't like her or he made something hard for Elizabeth or whatever. Also, uh, hilariously, in I Dream of Jeannie, he's an astronaut. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Which, yeah, given right. that we're talking about space, you'd think we should know that. <laughs> Well, that's what the kind of experience you get as a podcaster on Star Trek is you get to know when any character is an astronaut on any television show. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, like I said, I think, you know, it'll continue to develop. I feel I've, I've been reading ahead a little bit, like just reading some episode descriptions. And I think there's one that concentrates on uh, Bones and Sulu pretty soon, mm. if not next week. So hopefully maybe we'll get some more background characters. So anyway... Yeah, well, this was quite the discussion. Does anything else that you guys want to say about the episode or just life in general? Since I guess that's where this this podcast is going. Um, no. <laughs> no. Also, listen, if you need to come up with a special secret code so your friends or loved ones know that you've been kidnapped, try to come up with one that's not a racial slur. How about that? That's like everybody's homework for the week. Oh, man. <sighs> yeah, I'll, I'll try and think of that. I mean, it'll be hard. We can, we can, really hard. we can share what ours are. <laughs> this art secret. We can't, we can't let that be known on air. No, because then ever more people will know that that's a sign that we've been kidnapped <laughs> and it's an imposter. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to tell you right now, if I'm ever voluntarily listening to Taylor Swift, it's not real, Emily. It's a plan. <laughs> Send help. <laughs> Corey, what's the thing that you would never be caught dead doing that we all know you're, you've been replaced with an android? Um, I think probably brushing my teeth. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> With battery acid. <laughs> Clint's like, no, that was mine. <laughs> Wait a minute. I just saw Corey uh, brushing his teeth with battery acid last week. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's a great place to end this episode. So uh, until we see you next time, keep on trekking. Clint didn't have one because he's already a replacement. No. Nope. <laughs>